is Luke 11, 37 to 42. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace kids, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. My name is Will Vakurvich. I'm one of the pastors here. And as if Daniel didn't share enough announcements with you guys, I actually have one more. So uh, on September 23rd, we've talked about this, I think last week, maybe you've seen it on social media. We, are, we have an incredible opportunity to participate in the Love Our City event. This is an event that's being put on by Long Beach Church Collective. It's for uh, people who love Jesus across Long Beach to show up and demonstrate that love together in serving our city. So we're recruiting a bunch of churches from across the city and even uh, across our region to uh, volunteer their day on this Saturday, September 23rd. There's a link that you can scan and that will take you to a registration form. The registration form will get you a free t-shirt, which I love. Not this t-shirt, but a Love Your City t-shirt. Um, it'll get you a free breakfast burrito, which everyone loves, uh, and an opportunity to sign up for a service event. So there are tons of different ways to serve in tons of areas across the region. Most of them are focused in Long Beach. There are some, I know there's like a, a community garden in Compton where people are going to be serving. There's beach cleanup uh, down in Bolsa Chica. So if you're a surfer, I expect you'll be there. Um, there's some that are family friendly. There's some that are for adults only. I know some are serving unhoused folks on Skid Row. So um, look through all the different events. One of the goals is to get people from different churches to get to know each other and serve together and talk about Jesus and show Jesus to the city. But there's also uh, a, an opportunity that we specifically are putting our attention and efforts into. If you'd like to sign up for that, that is partnering with the, our local DCFS office um, in Lakewood to help revitalize some of their visitation rooms. So we've been on a few Zoom, Zoom calls with uh, our DCFS friend, Sherry Evans, who's been here a number of times to talk about foster care and adoption with us. And one of the things that, you know, like I was, I, like I was excited, like-ish, like, oh, cool, we get to bring new furniture to a room. Like, that's just not, 
overly exciting for me. Maybe for some of you guys, the Extreme Home Makeover crew, you love that. Um, But what she said, like, stopped me in my tracks. She said there is a direct correlation to the quality of visits that families have with their reunification. You are not just bringing in a new rug. You are helping families reunite with what you're doing. And I have to say, church, that was compelling for me to understand that I can spend like part of a Saturday and like, you know, put some Ikea furniture together. And that could literally be one of the ways that Jesus, who is reconciling all things, helps to reconcile families back together was was pretty inspiring for me. So I was judgy at first. Now I'm excited. Hopefully that inspires you guys (laughs) as well to sign up. So that is our love, our city event. And there's going to be a number of these kind of group events. This is part of where we're moving with the whole ABCD process, becoming more outward focused. If you'd like to learn about more of those events, show up to our congregational meeting after the service. You like that plug? So there's that. Um, Questions, uh, I can chat with you after service. There's a flyer in your bulletin. There's a QR code to scan, and I think that's all you need for that event. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into our, our sermon. Father, we thank you. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you for this morning. It, it feels like one of those mornings where there's just so much life going on. And Jesus, it, it, doesn't, it hasn't always felt that way, and so I thank you for that. I thank you for the interns. I thank you for these um, second-hour fellowship groups. I thank you for community groups. I thank you for what you're doing in our youth program with junior high and high school. Uh, there's just lots of areas of excitement. Lord, I thank you for this congregational meeting that's coming and just good news and and cool things that you're doing in and through us for the sake um, of your kingdom in our community. And so we say thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Luke that um, you have been speaking to us through over these last number of months. And we ask that that would continue this morning. Jesus, help us to hear your voice clearly. Would you remind us of how much you love us? Would you root out areas of sin that our eyes are blinded to? Or would you be gentle with us as you speak to us through your word? We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, yesterday, um, <clears throat> we got to spend the afternoon uh, watching our oldest son play basketball. He, he just made uh, a club basketball team um, most of the way, like the season was almost all the way over. So he played in the last game of the season two weeks ago. Last week was first game of playoffs. This was the championship game. So he really lucked out, right? Like he just kind of joined this team that was already doing incredible and he just gets to hang out with these guys who are killing it. And, and something for me, I grew up watching and I played football, like that was kind of my family sport. So I, if, when he did flag football, I can help with basketball I can't help as much. Like, I know it's supposed to go into the hoop. Uh, You got to dribble, right? Like, I know these things. But there's a lot about the sport I don't, I'm still learning, okay? Which makes it hard to cheer as a dad because I get a little bit excited and I like to cheer and, like, yell really loud and things like that. But I also don't want to look like an idiot and, like, not know what's going on and cheer at the wrong time or whatever. So so they're playing the game. and, And even with my limited knowledge of basketball, I'm like, ah. It feels like all of the calls are going to the other team. Now, I know you know parents that always think that in every sporting event their kid has ever played. I'm the opposite. I'm like, no, 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 that was, you should have called that foul on my son. He's normally doing something he shouldn't. Like, get him. I'm that dad, right? So this was, like, for me to notice is like a thing, right? 
Well, I hear other parents that are like, what is going on? I see the coach start to get really angry and like, you know, he has a similar haircut as I do. And so you can see the beads of sweat, right? Like I know this because this happens to me and, and, and he's getting super animated and then like the game stops and the, the coach from the other side and our coach are like going back and forth and the refs are there and then like an official from the league comes and you know, my wife is asking me like, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the rules enough to know what's happening, but I know people are upset. I'm guessing for a good reason. And this kind of continues throughout the game where there's like these calls and the other coach is like saying stuff to our coach and our coach is trying to walk away, but then the refs are saying like, you gotta stay in this area because apparently that's a rule in basketball. There's a place for the coaches. Just, yeah, some people are like, yes, you need to learn more about basketball. Um, and so it felt uh, exciting, but also super confusing because I'm like, what? There's a lot of anger and I'm not quite sure what's going on. And um, like I said, this was yesterday afternoon. So this felt like a gift of God because one of the things that I kept thinking as I was reviewing this text for this sermon is like, Jesus is angry, but on my initial reading, I'm not quite sure exactly what was going on that caused him be to be so angry. So let's walk through the text first. Um, a, a preacher that I love says, we're gonna go to school and then we're gonna go to church. So we're gonna walk through the text and I'm gonna kind of help us understand hopefully what's going on in this passage. And then we're gonna talk about some implications for us today. So we're gonna pick up in the book of Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. If you have the Bible that's underneath your seat, we're gonna be on page 870. Luke chapter 11 starting in verse 37. This is what Luke tells us. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. <clears throat> the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean to you. Let's stop there. When Jesus had finished speaking, so he had just gone through this long kind of interaction with crowds. Remember from a few weeks ago, he had casted out a demon who made a man mute, unable to speak. The people said, the only reason you did this is because Satan gave you that power. He said, that makes no sense. Why would Satan cast out demons? Um, and then there's this whole conversation last week about they want a sign to prove that Jesus is who he says he was. He says the only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah. And he talks about this queen from the south who came. And we talked about how outsiders got it, but insiders didn't always get it. So when he had finished saying those things, there's a large crowd gathered and a Pharisee invites Jesus over for a meal. A Pharisee was a religious leader. There weren't a lot of them, but they held a lot of power in the community. Their perspective was throughout their people's history, sin had corrupted the people so deeply that God had pronounced judgment upon his people time and time again. Because God so loves the world, he calls his people to share that love with others. And when his people were obedient and they got it right, there was blessings and other people got to see an accurate reflection of who God is. 
But when they were disobedient and they got it wrong, then the watching world caught a distorted view of who God is and what his kingdom is like. So the Pharisees saw this throughout their people's history and said, look, sin is the issue here, and how we deal with it is add more laws. Not because they loved laws, but because they actually wanted the people to be holy. They wanted the people to be obedient to God. But like most things in life, if not everything, our, our corrections can often turn to overcorrections. And so they added law upon law upon law upon law until it got to the point where there was so much that could not be done that actually wasn't in God's word. That wasn't actually God's intention. It was these extra safety measures to try to keep the people clean, pure. Does that make sense? So that's the Pharisees. So a Pharisee, one of them, invited Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus goes in, he reclines at the table, but this Pharisee notices Jesus did not first wash before the meal Watched before the meal, and that surprised him, sorry. So one of the laws that they added was this idea that at some point in your life, you may have unknowingly come in contact with something that was unclean. Therefore, there was a ritualistic, ceremonial way they would wash their hands before they ate in case there was something they unknowingly came in contact with that caused them to be unclean. So this law is not written in God's word. This is an extra law that they've added but the assumption is that everyone would know that, and so Jesus coming in to this meal should have washed his hands. Now, this has nothing to do with hygiene and bacteria and sing the happy birthday song two times while you scrub that we tell our kids, right? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a ritual that was added on top of God's law that people had to perform to show everyone that they were around how righteous they were. That's what this was about. Now, this is where it gets interesting because it never says, the Pharisee says anything about how surprised he is to Jesus. The text just tells us that Jesus is aware of this. Now, to be fair, it could have been a facial expression. It could have been body language. There could have been words that aren't written. But all we know is Jesus doesn't wash his hands. Pharisee's surprised, and now Jesus just goes after him. There's anger that at first is unclear to me the first time I read this text. This is what Jesus says. The Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisee, think about this. Somebody invites you to their house, nothing said, and out of nowhere, it's like, oh, now then, you people always do that, right? Like, that, this is rude. Like, Jesus is being rude and kind of cranky here. He says, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. What Jesus is getting at is there's something about what's inside of us that actually matters more to God than just what we do outwardly. The irony is he's using this example of hand washing, which is outward, and he says instead coming from the inside, you should do something outward, which is giving to the poor. But it's about an internal posture. It's about a heart of gratitude. So this is how Jesus starts his angry rant, talking about the outside of the cup and dish. If you have a cup that's dirty, you don't just wash the outside of it. That's pretty pointless. You wash the inside where your drink goes so that it's not contaminated. You don't wash the bottom of your plate. 
I mean, you do. But you wouldn't only wash the bottom of the plate. You would also wash the top of the plate where your food rests. There's irony here. Jesus goes on in verse 42 to say, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So he starts with these six woes. We need to pay attention to this word woe. We don't normally use it in our context as much. Um, I think there is a TikTok dance. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. This word is uh, an onomatopoeia, which if it's been a long time since you've been in like third grade grammar, let me remind you. It's a word that sounds like what it does, like slam, pow, right? Remember the Batman show, right? Bang, those kinds of things. But the sound here in the original language was uh, a number of vowels strung together that would have sounded like someone crying out as though they were being tortured. Jesus says, woe to you. Woe is not used lightly in all of scripture. This is the most severe warning of God's impending judgment on people. Woe is serious. This is way beyond like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, like woe, right? Like this is serious. Jesus says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you're giving a tenth of these herbs. What, What does this mean? God's people were called to tithe, give a tenth of everything they have to God. What the Pharisees were doing is saying, in their garden, as plants are growing, if there happens to be like a little spring of mint that pops up next to the main plant, they would take this little piece of mint and go weigh out a tenth of it. So the idea is like, this is getting ridiculous, guys. They would weigh out these little extra plants of garden herbs that were growing to make sure that they were exactly giving a tenth to God because they were so prioritized and focused on not breaking any of the law or these extra laws that they've added that they've become blinded to what Matthew would describe as he talks about this scene with the weightier matters of the law. Loving God, loving people, a.k.a. justice, Caring that things are operating in God's word, as, in God's world, as He designed them to operate, He said, "You guys are weighing plants, small plants, to make sure a tenth of those go to the temple, and you're neglecting people who are suffering, people who are being oppressed, people who are, um, you know, being mistreated and treated violently. You're blind to those, but you care about mint. Does that make sense? Okay. He keeps going." Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. They loved the special attention they were getting. They got VIP seating, kind of like Beth. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. They would have seats in the front. Beth knows I'm kidding. That was mean. I apologize. Um, They would have special seats in the front of the synagogue where they would be expected to sit. No one could sit in their chairs. They love that special treatment. They were VIPs. When they would walk around the marketplace, they loved that people would stop and revere them, right? Like think paparazzi with like actors or whatever. That's the attention that they were getting and they loved it. Jesus continues. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. So to walk over a grave in their culture would cause the person to become unclean. 
They would have to go perform these purification laws, and then they would have to wait seven days before they would be considered clean again, able to enter back into community and back into worship in the temple and all of these things. So culturally, what would happen is around Jerusalem, um, as people would come from across the nation to participate in these different festivals and religious celebrations, if there was an unmarked grave, the family would be responsible to whitewash it, to paint it white, so that people who weren't familiar with the area would see this white grave and know not to unintentionally walk on it and then become unclean. Jesus is saying, you teachers of the law who are supposed to be drawing people to the worship of God are like unmarked graves. They think, your listeners think they're on a safe path drawing closer to God, but they're, you're actually causing them to walk over this unmarked grave, which is causing them to become unclean. Woe to you. The narrative continues. It says, woe to you. Oh, sorry, one of the experts in the law, we're in verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. So these experts of the law, or sometimes they're called scribes, um, lawyers is really what they were, but don't think like our legal law lawyers, like studying the Old Testament law, is, they're separate from the Pharisees, but they're connected, especially in the book of Luke, when they're connected, it's against Jesus. So they spend their time studying the law. This one of them says, Jesus, hold on a minute. You're saying these things to the Pharisees, but you're actually insulting the scribes as well. Jesus doesn't calm down. Verse 46, he says, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Right? I have like this cartoon image of like helping someone move, and they're giving you like boxes and then more boxes and like can we put something up there and then like something on top of that and you're carrying all of their stuff and they're just like yeah, good job I'm gonna go you know sit down and have a iced tea they're loading this burden upon the people and not even lifting a finger to help them verse 47 woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers who killed them so you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did they killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God, in his wisdom, said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, others they will persecute. Wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that had been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Let's unpack a little bit. What Jesus is saying is that God has always sent messengers to his people to remind them of who they are, to remind them of their identity. They are God's, we are God's treasured possession a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have an identity as God's people to not only proclaim but display what he is like. When God's people don't do that, there's always a messenger who reminds them of what they are called to do. God sent prophets to do this many times throughout the nation's history. The people killed those prophets. 
What Jesus is saying is your ancestors rejected what God did and said and how he tried to offer correctives that would help to right their relationship with God. He's saying this generation is doing the same thing. Maybe they didn't physically kill the prophets, but they're building these like statues and monuments celebrating the prophets as if they are so different than their forefathers. Jesus is saying you're the same. There's been no change. Just because you quote the prophets doesn't mean you're living like the prophets call you to live. And on top of that, you think you're going to earn God's favor by building a statue to the prophets. So Jesus is calling them out. He's not saying they like literally killed these guys, these men and women, but figuratively, their blood will be on the Pharisees and scribes' heads, this generation's heads because they're living in the same rebellion, but acting as though they're not. (sighs) We're almost there. Stick with me, 52. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. He's saying you spend your time studying the law which allows people to enter into relationship with God. This is the key of knowledge. This is the understanding that people need of who God is, of what he likes, of what he expects from his people, of how his people can enter into relationship with him. And not only are the scribes not sharing the key of knowledge with the people, they're actually locking the door and then getting in the way to stick with the basketball. They're boxing them out from the door. They're hindering the people from coming to God. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This upset them, to put it mildly. Okay, so that's the teach. So as we were watching the game unfold, the calls got worse and worse. The other coach would go and talk to the refs, And I finally had enough, and I was like, I just started asking people, like, what is going on? So here are some of the things that were going on. Um, Two of our players, because our team doesn't have the most money, had the same number on their jersey, but they were never on the court at the same time. So the other coach was complaining about it. Here's the deal. Two of his players had the same number on their jersey also. There's time limits for how long kids can play until they need to take a break and other kids can play. So he literally was watching the clock on our kids. He had one kid that was on the court the entire time who just happened to be their best player. Uh, There was a huge double standard in what was going on. And he was getting into these like nitpicky, like look at where he's standing on the court, technical rules that were like so obscure. We're like, literally parents are yelling, just let the kids play basketball. Let them play basketball. But this other coach was so focused on his strategy of distracting and trying to win through this use of the rules that it actually detracted from the game. It it took away from the game. And it wasn't fun. And our coach had a reaction, which frankly, I was kind of thankful for. He was feeling intense about it, right? Like he was feeling some kind of way, like, no, this is not fair. It would be fair if it was a clear standard, but it's a double standard. It's not fair, just let the kids play basketball. And I think that's part of what was going on with Jesus here. It's a double standard. 
It's not even. The religious leaders can just make up these laws and expect the people to obey, and then they pronounce condemnation on the nation when they are not obeying these extra things. It's not fair. And so as our coach, you know, the game ended, and unfortunately our team lost in the championship. It was heartbreaking. We were all so sad. Then our coach went out to, you know, uh, outside the gym, and he gave a pep talk, which was incredible. But before we get there, one of the things that occurs to me about this passage is this concept that one of the reasons Jesus is getting so passionate about this is because it's serious. We're not just called to play church, to play faith. This came to me um, after college. I started to learn how to box from this older guy who had these like sayings and he would say, you don't play boxing. You go play golf, you go play tennis, you don't play boxing. If you're playing boxing, you get punched in the face. Meaning it's serious, right? Other games are serious, I know that. Don't worry, Will, basketball's serious. (laughs) But I think sometimes we play church. Sometimes we get caught up in the rhythms and the routines and the rituals and it's Sunday, so I put on the nice clothes, unless you're me and I wear a t-shirt, and I show up and I don't even think about what I'm stepping into, you know, I'm just trying to get the kids in the car and whatever music's on the radio and then we rush in at the last minute and here we are and I forget that I'm stepping into the presence of God. Now is God in my car, is God in my house, is God on the street? Yes, This is an intentional set-aside time in our day when we gather together with the body of believers to hear from his word, to worship together, to pray together, to be reminded of our sins. We should be taking this seriously, to be reminded of the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ alone. Sometimes we just go through the routine. We set up the auto pay on, on our giving and we don't even think about it. Every month it just goes, it just goes and that is great and Beth would like kick me if I told you not to do that. I'm, keep doing that but remember this should flow from an overflow of gratitude because the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Jesus is Lord. That matters. That has implications for the choices we make with every aspect of our lives. Whether we like it or not, we don't play church. You don't play boxing. There's consequences if you do. And Jesus in this passage reminds us of this. This is serious. Eternity is at stake. And we see Jesus' intensity in this passage, I believe, because he understands it's not a frivolous thing. Now, does this mean you have to be holy, you have to be perfect? No, 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 no. But if we're saying Jesus is Lord, then that matters. This isn't just a thing. This isn't just a cultural norm. This isn't just because you grew up with it or whatever the case may be. This is an active relationship with the living God who has created all things. Do I say this to guilt you? No. But like, if I was getting a really intense diagnosis from a doctor, I wouldn't want them to be like, hey buddy, guess what? Right, like it's serious, it's weighty. There's a weightiness here to this. Because literally, lives are at stake. Lives of our family members, lives of our friends and our neighbors who don't know Jesus. That's who the implications are for. That's why Jesus takes this so seriously. Because God loves us. Because God loves us, he has to take this seriously. 
This was one of the beautiful things about the game yesterday. The coach was fired up. He had beads of sweat like I do on my bald head. And, and intense, yelling, the whole deal. Took the team out to the parking lot to give them the pep talk. And he said, look at my face. Look at my face. Got the team's attention. The parents are like, yes, sir, we're looking at your face, right? He said, look at my face. He smiled. I couldn't believe it. He smiled. He said, we play the game hard. But at the end of the day, it's a game. I love you guys. I'm proud of you guys. You played hard. Don't worry about the refs. Don't worry about the coach. We love basketball. They have a tournament today, so you know my day is busy. We're going to get our heads focused for the next day's game, and we're going to keep going right back at it. So I love you guys. Keep your heads up. Don't put your chins down. Keep your chin up. Keep your head up. And I thought it was beautiful. And I can't help but sense Jesus at work through this coach. Because this is the same thing. This is why Jesus was so fiery in this passage. Because God so loves the world. Because God desires relationships with all people. Because God wants people to know that we are all sinners. And there is only one who can atone, one who can pay for our sins. Only in one can we receive forgiveness. And that is through Jesus. This is serious. The prophets spoke in extreme language because they understood this is for the sake of the world. This is not just so we feel comfortable on Sunday morning. This is so that your loved ones who don't yet know Jesus have an opportunity to hear from you who they know and trust and love about how good the Father is and how much he wants to welcome them back into his embrace. This is serious. This isn't God loves you in the sense of like, you know, if you're my age, you remember Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. You guys remember, okay, a few of you are my age. Jesus is my, it, it's not that. This is the love of a parent that will go to the ends of the earth to rescue their child. This is like, we all hear the cliche story of like the car accident and the little mom like has the adrenaline and lifts the car off the child. This is that kind of love. This is the kind of love that gets angry, righteous anger when wrong is done to the child. The father knows what it's like to live in a world full of brokenness and sin and so he sent his son to make that right for you and for me. We don't play church because God loves us. And so, here's the deal. One of my favorite shows growing up was Reading Rainbow. And one of my favorite things LeVar Burton would say is you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. God loves you more than I ever will. God wants to communicate with you better than I ever can. So we are going to take time in our service to stop and to listen. I'm gonna lead us in listening prayer where we're just gonna be silent. I'll start a prayer and let Jesus fill in the rest for you. If you've done this before, this may feel comfortable. If you've never done this before, this may feel really strange. We're asking you to trust us here. What we believe is that God is living and active today, as living and active as he was when Jesus was alive and when he created all things, and as living and active as he'll be when he reunites heaven and earth one day. We believe that God loves us, that God loves you specifically, and that he wants to speak to you at all times. Now, we, he just has a captive audience. 
And so as much as God wants to communicate through his word, he also wants to communicate through his spirit. And so Mike and the band are gonna play some music so that it's not super awkward. I'm gonna ask Jesus to speak in a couple of different ways and then we're gonna continue on with our service. Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing us in this moment. Thank you for filling this space with your presence. So Father, as your children, we ask to hear from you. Jesus, we ask that you would speak through images, through pictures, through sensations in our body, Lord, through emotions, whatever you see fit, we surrender this time to you. Tune our ears to your voice and speak. Spirit, we thank you for what you are stirring in us. We ask that you would speak to us specifically about the sins that we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us. Would you speak your truth louder than the false narratives we're so tempted to believe? Jesus, the good news that we have in you is that you do not leave us in our brokenness. Instead, you replace that with your love for us. Would you wash over us like waves? Would you remind us of how you love us, of how you see us? Would you speak those things now?
Father, you did not make us for uh, isolation. You love us as individuals, but you call us into community. And so we ask if you, the sense that I have is if you are giving some of us a word for someone else. Sometimes it's easier to hear it from one of your image bearers. And so Jesus, would you speak to us those things that you may have for someone else to hear? Give us courage. Give us courage and help us to trust that this is from you. Speak clearly so that we're not confused. we've believed lies for so long and you have been speaking your truth help us to receive that with open arms lavish your love upon us and Jesus for some of us we know there's business that we have to do with other people there's a word of encouragement uh, repair of a relationship forgiveness you know what it is confirm that Jesus we thank you for what you've spoken and we ask you to continue to speak to us we pray these things in your name